0: This podcast contains graphic subject matter and is meant for mature listeners only. It's Friday, August 31st, 2018. The start of the long Labor Day weekend. Nurse practitioner Stephanie Lundblot reports for work at the Beltrami County Jail in remote northern Minnesota, about four hours from the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul.
1: I arrived and I was... um told that I had to go assess a patient, um, a patient who was uh, faking that he was paralyzed uh, and faking that he was incontinent. So um, after I stopped at the nurse's station, they uh, led me up to uh, the cell where Hardell was at.
0: Stephanie is new, brand new. She started this job just three weeks ago, and it's her very first day working alone for Mend Correctional Care, a private, for-profit medical company with a contract to provide care for the inmates in the Beltrami Jail and dozens of other jails across Minnesota and the upper Midwest. What did you find, what was your first impression when you went into that cell?
1: When I went into that cell, um, I first was overwhelmed with just the stench.
0: ...of uh, urine um, and sweat. I'm A.J. Legault, an investigative reporter for Carol 11 a TV station in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You're listening to Cruel and Unusual, Episode 2, The Whistleblower. The inmate Stephanie is checking on is Hardell Sherrill, a 27-year-old black man and father of three little girls. Jailers have told her he's been faking symptoms, including paralysis.
1: They had told me he was uh, faking that he was uh, paralyzed and, and even faking that he couldn't swallow. So he was um, hypertensive and needed his blood pressure medication, and they said he wasn't getting his medications because he said he couldn't swallow
0: as stephanie walks through the jail towards the cell she hears guards at the security desk mocking hardell laughing about his adult diapers when you found him he was just lying in his own filth
1: he was lying in his urine and his sweat and he had a diaper on but it hadn't been changed and Probably at least a day or two.
0: This is the first time Stephanie has publicly told this story. We're sitting in chairs outside her parents' home. Why are you talking with us today?
1: Because I, I want justice for Hardell. I want what happened to Hardell to never, ever happen to anyone again.
0: I can hear it in your voice that this has haunted you.
1: Yes. Um, My time with Hardell was relatively brief, but when you see another human being suffering that way, it changes you and that memory doesn't go away. Hearing someone pleading for their life and seeing someone so utterly powerless when the people who are in power are abusing their power. Thinking of his children, his family, his mother, are now without a son, without a father. You know, he should be alive today.
0: Stephanie tells me, watching George Floyd die over a period of nine minutes, pinned beneath the knees of police officers who ignored his pleas for help.
2: Please, I we all were.
0: Brought what she witnessed with Hardell two years prior crashing back.
1: It brought it all, all back. You know, Hardell, his death was not minutes. It was days. It was slow. And he was aware of what was happening to his body, and he had no control over it. And even with fleas of, um, for his life, he was ignored. He, so he ended up dying a very slow, painful death.
0: I asked Stephanie to recount what happens from the time she walked into Hardell's cell.
1: Hardell was laying um, on the jail floor on a mat and he was covered in sweat and urine. He was wearing a diaper and uh, the urine had soaked through the diaper. He couldn't move his legs. When I bent over to get closer to him, I noticed that he had a tears coming down his face, and he was telling me that his back hurt and that he couldn't feel the bottom half of his body. He was embarrassed. Uh, He wanted a change of clothes. He said that he hadn't had his clothes changed or had a shower.
0: Hardell's medical chart shows he's been telling his jailers and other men correctional care staff for days that he's in extreme pain that he can't move his legs and it hurts to swallow. Three days before, Hardell had called his mom delshia on a recorded jail line. I need to
3: see a specialist, and I can't see one in here. I'm in so much pain. I need a specialist. They can't help me in here. And I'm in, like, so much pain. My blood pressure is 160 over 120. Last like his
2: fell last night?
3: I fell off the bed, yeah, trying to go take a pee.
0: And they left me on the floor for 25 fucking minutes. And just one day before Stephanie walked into his cell, as you heard on episode one, Hardell told another men nurse things were getting worse. He now couldn't feel anything from the waist down, and he'd urinated on himself because he was unable to get up and get across his cell to use the toilet. That same day, records also show that Dr. Todd Leonard, the owner and physician in charge of MEND, was called on the phone. He never came to check on Hardell, just directed he be taken to the emergency room to be evaluated. But jail administrator, Captain Calander Allen, overrode the doctor's orders in direct violation of Minnesota's rules governing jails. Those rules state medical matters involving clinical judgments are the sole province of the responsible physician. Despite that, Captain Allen refused to allow Hardell to go to the hospital, claiming seemingly without evidence that Hardell is faking as part of a possible escape attempt. Dr. Leonard, the responsible physician, did not push back and insist Hardell go to the ER, never even calling the jail captain to discuss whether it was safe for her to arbitrarily override his medical order. So Hardell is still lying on the floor of his cell in his own waist. That's how Stephanie, men's new nurse practitioner, finds him the next day. She quickly determines he has a serious medical condition. Did this look like a man who was faking?
1: no. It looked like a man that was suffering and that was sick, that was dying.
0: As a medical professional, what what did you do and what assessment did you make?
1: Well, immediately we started getting his vitals and his vital signs were not good. Uh, His oxygen was in the low 80s and his heart rate was over 132, his blood pressure. was very high, um, so we, I was recording the vitals and then uh, um, directed the, the nurse that we needed to get him out of the soiled clothes and a, a different diaper on and get him to the, the emergency room as soon as possible. So I was gathering the vital signs so we could make the report to the emergency room physician.
0: You thought he needed to get to an emergency room ASAP?
1: Yes, I knew without a doubt uh, that something neurologically wasn't right with him. And I knew that if he didn't receive medical care immediately, um, that he probably wouldn't make it.
0: While new to MEND, Stephanie is an experienced correctional clinician. Before you started at MEND, what had you been doing?
1: I spent two years working um, for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Uh, Worked as a nurse practitioner in that system.
0: You are not new to correctional health care? No. She says it's obvious to anyone with medical training that Hardell was not a man faking being sick as part of some wild attempt to escape from the jail. Was that even a remote possibility in the shape he was in?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Could he have run away? No. Could he even stand up?
1: He couldn't even stand up. He could barely talk. He could still cry. Still cry? He was pleading for his life and I could tell he felt utterly powerless. He wanted to speak with his family and he told me he was afraid to be left alone with the officers.
0: Concerned that he'd had a stroke, Stephanie orders Hardell be taken to the ER immediately and she does not take no for an answer. How serious did you think it was at that point?
1: I knew that he was uh, so sick that if he didn't receive good medical care soon that he, he would die. I just couldn't believe that it had been going on for as already as long as it had been going on and uh, that he wasn't already in the hospital and the fact that he wasn't getting medication, proper fluids. He wasn't even being showered and his neurological status was declining. I was just in shock that that was actually happening before my eyes.
0: The jail administrator again weighs in. Again, refusing to allow Hardell be taken in an ambulance but allowing him to go to the hospital in the back of a police vehicle. It's the last time Stephanie sees her patient.
1: I remember kind of touching his hand when I was in the hallway, and he was in the wheelchair. And I told him that it would be okay that we were... and he was going to get help.
0: Unbeknownst to Stephanie, that's not what happened. As we detailed back in episode one, our investigation discovered the local ER doctor said Hardell needed an MRI, which they couldn't provide at the small northern Minnesota hospital. So the doctor ordered Hardell be taken by ambulance two hours away to a hospital in Fargo, North Dakota. At the second hospital, the MRI came back normal. My team and I reviewed hours of security camera footage from the jail and even though we saw no evidence that Hardell was moving normally, hospital notes show a jail guard told the ER doctor in Fargo that Hardell had been seen on camera moving around fine, so was likely faking his illness. It appears that the entire time he was at the hospital, except during the MRI, Hardell was kept in four-point restraints, hands and ankles, handcuffed to the medical gurney. so. It's not clear how hospital staff could have conducted a full physical examination of his ability to move when he was shackled like this. It's also not clear why the ER doctor discounted all Hardell's vital signs. Remember the ones that so alarmed Stephanie back at the jail, but unable to find anything specifically wrong with him and apparently believing what the guard told him about faking the symptoms, the ER doctor diagnosed Hardell as malingering with just weakness or fatigue and discharged him back to the jail. Stephanie was by then off work for the long holiday weekend.
1: I was hopeful that he got to an emergency room and was getting decent care. I had no idea that the emergency room physician discharged him to his death.
0: Had you Seen a malingering inmate before?
1: Yes, many.
0: Was that what Hardell Sherrell looked like to you?
1: No, not at all.
0: Hardell's hospital discharge instructions sent to the jail did state he should seek medical attention immediately if he experienced worsening weakness, difficulty standing, paralysis, or loss of control of his bladder or bowels or difficulty swallowing. We discovered that Hardell would meet every single one. Those conditions, but never see a doctor again. He died on his jail cell floor a day and a half later as men, nurses, and guards ignored his pleas for help and continually accused him of faking, even as he lay in his own feces for hours, unable to move, choking. Records show Dr. Leonard was briefed on Hardell's condition over the phone. But this was a long holiday weekend, Labor Day, and Dr. Leonard never went to see him, never even asked for his vital signs. What's more, men nurses, including Dr. Leonard's live-in girlfriend, never bothered to take his vitals. She just stood 10 feet away in the door of the cell. Stephanie returned to work at MEND headquarters on the Tuesday after Labor Day. She told me she heard her boss, Dr. Leonard, talking on the phone to his lawyer, about a death at the Beltrami County Jail. That's how she learned that Hardell is dead. What did Dr. Leonard say about how he thought Hardell had died?
1: He thought it was possible that he had killed himself by putting a sock uh, down his throat. Um, There was talk of him giving himself a blood clot.
0: In your opinion, was that even a remote possibility?
1: No because he could barely open his mouth to really talk.
0: Stephanie says when she voiced concerns about Hardell's care and what she'd witnessed, Dr. Leonard told her not to jump to conclusions because it could hurt his company. Was there any doubt in your mind that what you saw was wrong?
1: No doubt, It felt evil. We treat animals that are in kennels better than he was being treated.
0: Do you believe Hardell Cheryl could be alive today?
1: Without a doubt, he would be alive today. He should be alive today.
0: She says she was horrified. So horrified at what she describes as the neglect and incompetency of men medical staff and jail guards that she quit this new job she desperately needed.
1: I felt like I had witnessed a murder and I resigned immediately.
0: Why did you think you'd witnessed a murder?
1: Anyone could have seen that Hardell was sick and that he was dying. You didn't um, need to have a medical degree to know that, anyone would have known that looking at Hardell. And the fact that there were multiple people in the medical profession that saw his vital signs, that saw his condition and did not give him the help that he needed goes beyond negligence.
0: You'd worked in a correctional setting. You said you worked for the federal government in prisons for two years. Had you ever seen anything like this? No. This wasn't standard practice behind most bars? No. Here's where Stephanie goes from nurse practitioner to whistleblower.
1: As medical professionals, we're trained that if we see abuse or neglect, that we report it. That's our duty. I immediately started documenting and started writing reports. I wrote reports to the Board of Medical Practice. I wrote a report to the Minnesota Board of Nursing, to the Department of Corrections, and also Ramsey Medical um, Examiner's Office. Um, I also left voice messages. at the Department of Corrections.
0: So, what happened to Stephanie's whistleblowing reports? That was a key question we wanted to answer as part of our investigation. Did you expect a response?
1: Yes. I felt something that horrendous and unjust um, that I would have received a phone call or something. So no one called me back.
0: Days turned to weeks, weeks to months, months to nearly two years.
1: I started to be afraid that nothing would happen.
0: Nothing was happening. Those whistleblowing reports Stephanie made had been, just like Hardell, buried. So Beltrami County was fully aware that they had a nurse saying negligent medical care was provided. Yes. I'm talking with Greg Croucher via Zoom. He lives in Colorado now, but he's a former inspector with the Minnesota Department of Corrections, who was assigned to cover Beltrami County and the Hardell Sherrill case. Stephanie's complaint about negligent care of Hardell landed on his desk. Why was nothing done with the whistleblower complaint from the jail nurse alleging negligent care?
4: Uh, so the whistleblower came, um, report, if you want to call it, that came in as a complaint. So it got, uh, uploaded into our statewide supervision system. I reviewed the letter. I talked to, uh, the sheriff and the jail administrator at Beltrami County, who advised me that they were talking to the head of the contract medical provider to determine if it had any validity whatsoever.
0: The head of the contract medical provider is Dr. Todd Leonard, the same person Stephanie filed the complaint about. The jail administrator, Captain Allen, is the person who violated state rules by not sending Hardell to the hospital in the first place. Greg Croucher says he doesn't know what happened next because he left the DOC to take a job out of state. So
4: at the time that I left the DOC, which would have been more than a year ago, uh, a little bit more than a year ago, that complaint letter, I did not close that out. That was still active. That was still being looked into, um, from my understanding and recollection, by the sheriff and the jail administrator at Beltrami County with the head of
0: the uh, men correctional. Internal DOC records reveal that after Greg Croucher left the DOC, an unknown person closed out Stephanie's complaint without the investigation even being completed. Effectively, what happened to Hardell was swept under the rug, buried. It likely would have stayed buried, if not for Hardell's mom, Delcia Perry.
2: Any medical professional would have been able to see if something was wrong with him.
0: Del Shia didn't know for a long time that someone in the jail tried to save her son. Just talking about Stephanie's compassion for Hardell and shared outrage over his treatment brings her to tears.
2: And I thank God for her because if she had not written up those letters, I don't know how my case would have gone. But I thank
0: In the months and years after Hardell's death, Delshia was relentless.
2: It does not take two years to investigate no what has happened. Two years is ridiculous. It's two years too long. So we are now demanding you release, you release those records now. Damn.
0: She waged an
2: uncompromising crusade for answers. And all I'm doing is fighting to get justice for my baby and for those in Beltrami County, because my goal is to shut Beltrami County Jail down. If they're gonna operate like that, they need to be shut down. MEND needs to be shut down if they are going to continue to do what they have done.
0: Delshia Shia hired Zoroslav Leiderman, a scrappy civil rights attorney, to begin prying loose records and bring a federal lawsuit against the Beltrami County Jail and Men correctional care. Here is Zoroslav, who says Hardell's case is a clear violation of the constitutional ban on cruel and unusual punishment.
3: To leave a person paralyzed on the jail floor who can't breathe, who can't move, uh, who is urinating and defecating on himself. Uh, to leave him to suffer that way uh, and to die due to the fact that he just couldn't breathe anymore is absolutely cruel and unusual.
0: Zoroslav's lawsuit and Delshia's protests over Hardell's death led Paul Schnell, the Minnesota Department of Corrections newly appointed commissioner, to review the records tied to the case. I've dealt
3: a lot with, with Ms. Perry, uh, Mr. Cheryl's mom,
0: and, and, and it does prompt you to, to raise the question and look at the history. Looking into the history of what happened to Hardell, Commissioner Schnell tells me Stephanie's whistleblower complaint was found, backing up what Del Shia claimed happened to her son.
3: Given the fact that we we discovered that uh, document related to the uh, uh, the death of, of Mr. Sherell, we wanted to uh, make sure that that as we look at these deaths, which are significant
0: incidents, that there is nothing that was missed. Commissioner Schnell is a longtime law enforcement officer, a former police chief, known as a progressive, who's willing to be blunt and transparent about needed reforms. He ordered a full re-review of Hardell's death at the Beltrami County Jail. Where previously no violations were found, this new review uncovered regular and gross violations of Minnesota jail standards in Beltrami that were, quote, pervasive. How surprising was it to see what was missed in the Cheryl case? It was um,
3: very disturbing. And um, uh, obviously, uh, it was something that we needed to act on.
0: That brings us back to Greg Croucher, the former DOC inspector who did the original review when Hardell died. We had some tough questions to ask. The report you authored states, I've determined that there were no violations. The second review launched after public protest by Hardell's mom found pervasive policy failures in regular and gross violation of Minnesota jail standards. How did you miss that?
4: I would say it was not missed. I would say the scope was
0: significantly widened. To Croucher's credit, he answered every single question we asked him. His responses, revealed systemic flaws and how DOC was doing its job as a watchdog over county jails. Croucher says when Hardell died, he followed DOC policy to the letter. The policy called for him to review video for 12 hours before a death And six hours afterwards to make sure there was no foul play and look to see if guards followed state rules about, for example, checking on inmates at least once every 30 minutes. He'd also look over documentation to see if training for guards was up to date. When I'm looking
4: at 12 hours before and six hours after, compared to reopening it and looking at the entire time he was there, which uh, I don't know if that was 10 to 12 days or something like that, if you widen the scope,
0: to that, then yeah, you'll find more, typically. He says that's why issues like the jail administrator violating state rules by refusing to send Hardell to the hospital against doctor's orders were missed. Listen closely to what this interview revealed next. When an inmate died, did you ever look to see if medical care was properly provided or provided at all?
4: Oh, we looked to see that it was provided but we didn't have any medical staff in the inspection unit so for us to speculate on whether it was proper or not we just um, would uh, we had to show that they were seen by health services if they were
0: I want to make sure I'm understanding this so you were only looking to see if they received medical care not whether that medical care was adequate
4: Correct, because we would not have no way to know if it was adequate, not being medical professionals.
0: So, to your knowledge, was anybody looking to see if the medical care provided in Minnesota jails was adequate? Uh, I don't, I just know that the DOC wasn't. Our investigation had just discovered something huge. When a person incarcerated in a Minnesota jail dies from a medical issue, no one checks to see if the medical care they were given lives up to basic medical standards. Here's DOC Commissioner Paul Schnell again.
3: The death of Mr. Scherell was really a case that that raised the specter for me. And obviously, I was deeply concerned
0: uh, by what I saw um, in that case. Hardell's case would prove to be just the tip of the iceberg. His mom, Del Shia, and her attorney, Zoroslav Leiderman, began to hear from other families with revelations that started to unmask a disturbing pattern at the Beltrami County Jail.
2: When's enough enough? How many more people have to die? Because there was another death, you know, right after hard hell. And that was also a medical, a suspicious medical death as well. But that could have been avoided if people had been listening to me, because I've been out for the last two years that I've been telling people, what is going on in Beltrami County Jail with men and their medical staff and the correctional officers? What is going on?
0: Coming up on Cruel and Unusual, episode three, a dead inmate sends his family a message from the grave. We found the note that he wrote. The note reads, If I die, sue the shit out of Beltrami Jail.
1: At what point did he know or think that he was going to die and nobody was going to be there with him or help
0: him? What our investigation uncovers leaves medical professionals enraged.
1: I wouldn't treat my worst enemy this way.
0: I'm A.J. Legault. A special thanks to our investigative team, producers Brandon Stahl, Steve Eckert, and Gary Knox.